Thanks for listening to Open Doors Live with your hosts, Mike Gore and James Kazina. Because of your support, we're able to bring the persecuted church to life. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au. Here's today's episode. As we told you in yesterday's broadcast, U.S. groups say dozens of Christians were detained following a raid on a Protestant church in southwestern China. This persecution, just the latest attempt by Beijing to crack down on all religion. China, as an atheist state, is supposed to guarantee religion under the law. China says they're just trying to tackle violent extremism, but critics say they've essentially set up an Orwellian surveillance state. There are fears this morning that Chinese authorities may be cracking down on Christianity. The Chinese pastor and his wife are among 100 Christians who've recently been detained. In the past few months, Beijing has taken down 2,000 crosses from houses of worship. I think if they're forced to choose, uh, history has shown that Jesus wins every time. It's getting hard to find a church in China. Crosses have been removed, churches have been shut down, some pastors have been sent to re-education camps. People are saying the situation in China is the worst it's been since the Cultural Revolution. This year was ranked the 27th hardest place in the world to be a Christian. In today's episode, we're talking about the World Watch List. But before we do that, I wanted to say a big welcome to all of our listeners, whether you've been following us faithfully for the past year or so, or brand new to this podcast. We just want to say how much we appreciate your support. If you're able to, we'd love you to rate, review, share this podcast. It's so encouraging when we travel around to churches and we meet people who listen to the podcast. You know, quite honestly, it's one of my favorite things to hear about. And so I'm here, as always, with one of our co-hosts, James Kazina, who looks after church engagement for all of Queensland, Western Australia, Northern Territory. He's one of the best speakers we've got in the ministry and a great friend of mine. And so we're excited to welcome you back, James, and our listeners to Open Doors Live for 2019. That's right, Mike. This episode is really special for us because it's our World Watch List edition. Every January, we launch this list, which is the top 50 most dangerous places around the world to be a Christian. It's unique to our ministry, and we've been releasing this list for almost 30 years. This list is so important to the work we do as a ministry. Our mission is to work to strengthen the local church in the midst of persecution and to help them to continue to share the gospel in their country. So, as a result, our work looks different in each country. From trauma counselling for victims of persecution, for example, or microloans and income generation projects. In some places, we still deliver Bibles where they don't have access to the Word of God. So this list, the World Watch list, helps us immensely in understanding the way persecution is changing and how we can best continue to serve the persecuted church. I think one thing to be really clear about as well, James, is that it's not just how the list helps us as a ministry. You know, I believe that the World Watch List is one of the most needed and crucial lists for the church across the board, Western and Eastern, because it gives people an idea of almost where, you know, if persecution is an earmark of successful Christianity, if I can be bold enough to say that, well, this list in so many ways helps us to see where Christianity is alive and moving, because the reality is that wherever the gospel is being shared, persecution exists. You know, so often people ask me about the map with all the colors, the oranges and the reds, and they all denote a different level of persecution. And they sort of say, look at this list and look at the ferocity of persecution in the Middle East and in Asia. But the reality is it's a list of hope as well, because it's a list of where the Lord is moving. 
and how he's working because people are bold and courageous and they're sharing the gospel publicly. It's what I love about the list. And so one of the things for listeners is don't ever let this episode simply be about, hey, let me tell you about what Open Doors is up to. This is an episode full of hope. It's an episode that is telling you where the Lord is moving all over the world. And more than that, it's an episode that my hope is will encourage you and inspire to be more courageous about your faith here in Australia, New Zealand, or wherever you're listening from, because I truly believe it is an earmark of successful Christianity persecution. Our job is to not avoid it, it's to run headlong into it, driven by a courageous obedience to God. But coming back to your, I guess, thoughts or sentiments around the way that our ministry changes and shapes its work based off country, one of the best examples I've got of that is from my time in Iraq. But I remember on my first trip, we arrived at the height of ISIS. I mean, people in the city that we were in were arriving in countless thousands by foot. Men, women, children. They were sleeping in streets, abandoned buildings, church courtyards. Everywhere they could find space, people were sleeping. And I remember as an organization and through our partners on the ground in that country, we had asked the church, what, what can we do to help? And for us as a ministry in that moment, it was first response aid, it was shelter, it was food packs, it was clothing, because people were literally displaced with only the clothes on their backs. And so as an organization, we helped first response. But then 18 months later, I had the privilege of taking another team back. And this time, the sort of helplessness and the hopelessness had set in. People had been in these camps for a couple of years now, and the mental health issues that were emerging in these camps were immense. And so as a ministry, as a way of staving off what we would call the dependency psychology, whereby people in these moments of displacement become more dependent on the handouts than they do on stepping up and trying to get their lives back on track. As a local church, they came to us and they said, hey, we need you to stop feeding people. It's what the church needed. It was a request we were given. And so we moved into more mental health care, trauma counselling, education, marriage counselling, because the reality is that life in these camps is absolutely horrific for marriages. Communications drops, intimacy drops. And so what we wanted to do was keep families together, because when you keep families together based around Jesus, the church remains and it thrives. And then only six months ago, before my third trip to Iraq, the state of play had changed again. You see, I arrived and all the camps had gone. There literally were no more camps in the city that I was in. And as a ministry, once again, the style of work had shifted because the local church said the key to getting the church to remain in this nation is now job creation. Because if there are no jobs, the people leave. And so as an organization and through our partners, we were working on micro business loans. You know, it's what I love about the ministry of Open Doors. We don't just get involved in one thing and sort of click repeat across nation after nation after nation. We go to the local church and we say, how can we breathe life into what you're doing and what does the church, the body of believers in your nation desperately need in this moment in time? I love hearing stories like that, Mike, because it reminds me, yes, these are numbers and facts and figures, but we care about individuals. We look them in the eyes. Like you're saying, we find our partners, we find out what they need. And that's really what this list is about. So thanks for reminding us and for all of our listeners why this list is important. And now in today's episode, what I'd love us to do is unpack why the World Watch list should matter to our listeners. 
not only just used as a tool internally for, I guess, navigating the work of Open Doors, but how does it effectively help the church in Australia, New Zealand, or wherever our listeners are listening from? Well, let's start from the point of finding out what the state of play is for persecution around the world. Uh, our research suggests this year that around 245 million people in the world are persecuted for their faith in Jesus. Last year, uh, the numbers represented one in 12 believers suffering. This year, that number has increased dramatically to one in nine Christians. In Asia and the Middle East alone, that number jumps to one in three believers. So, so does that mean persecution has got worse, James? Absolutely. There's an increase right across the board in, in many of the countries that we're studying. Persecution is on the rise. But I want to challenge our listeners on how we choose to respond to that. At Open Doors, we believe that the persecuted church is actually full of hope. This isn't a, uh, a terrible news story. This is actually, actually an example of the fact that the church is advancing despite the suffering that they're seeing. Uh, every instance of persecution is linked in some way to a public profession or, or an outward expression of faith. This means the church is becoming bolder in sharing the gospel. Let's keep that in mind as we're listening to these stories and hearing about these numbers and figures today. Uh, this idea of the church becoming bolder in sharing their faith is exactly what we're seeing in the nation of Algeria. Uh, last year it had a ranking of 42, and in just one year it's risen 20 places uh, to the number 22. So what is life actually like for believers in this country of Algeria? We had a story of a, a young man named Ibrahim. He became a Christian, but he was too scared to tell anyone about his faith. When he finally did share this with his family, his parents beat him, took away his wife and his children. He's reported uh, of saying to his children, look, I love you, I love you, but I love Jesus more. Since that time, he's been reunited with his family. He's undergoing uh, training and counseling for what he went through. But it's an example of what it looks like to suffer in one of the most difficult countries in the world to be a Christian. You know, what I love before is how you talked about a public profession of faith. And I want to challenge both yourself, but also the listeners. The reality is, is that even Jesus was persecuted. In fact, every instance of persecution in the Bible was linked to either a public profession of faith or a public outworking of faith. Is it now more than 2,000 years or nothing's changed? We often say that if we wanted to stop persecution, it's relatively easy. We simply need only get people to stop talking about Jesus, to stop sharing him publicly, showing him personally within their own lives, or outworking him and his love for their communities in community, i.e. the local church. You see, persecution, it's the motor of the gospel. It has been for 2,000 years. My hope is it will be for 2,000 more. It is an earmark of successful Christianity. But as far as this list goes, how do we measure persecution? And so one of the things I'd love to share briefly with the listeners is an analogy that helped me really get my mind around the world watch list. I remember speaking with a believer from Asia who said to me, well, persecution, and we've said it on the podcast before, it's like the smash and the squeeze. At one end of the spectrum, you have smash, the acts of violent persecution often found across the Middle East, but then you have the squeeze elements, the non-violent elements of persecution. And for me, having worked here for almost 10 years now, I have to say that squeeze persecution, the acts of non-violent persecution are far more effective on suffocating and suppressing faith than violent persecution. However, often within media cycles, 
violence is what people want to hear. It's the the kind of the horrific side of persecution that seems to get all the traction, get all the conversation. But when you hear stories of men, women, children who are ostracized and outcast from community simply for their faith in Jesus, who are then rendered to an entire life of abject poverty. In fact, one of them said to me, it's like civil death, a fate worse than death. They say you're alive, but you're dead. You see, nonviolent persecution is a far more effective tool on suppressing Christianity than violent persecution. And I think that's one of the best ways to describe the World Watch List. It's an index ranking of the 50 most difficult places to follow Jesus that really follows both violent and nonviolent persecution and its impact across the world. But I thought the best way to explain this is to get our resident World Watch List expert, Tim Reed, who is joining us today only for the podcast. This guy is someone I've worked with for several years now. He's one of the most knowledgeable people on our team to do with all of the trends, the facts, the figures, and listeners. One of the best things about him is he doesn't just speak in code. He's actually coherent because a lot of those data-based guys you can hardly ever understand. But Tim, he's one of the best communicators we've got. I've seen him speak before Senate inquiries on freedoms of religions in this nation. I've seen him hold congregations enthralled in the way he tells stories as marries it with the data and the analysis behind it. And so I thought there is no better way or no better person for this episode than to get Tim himself on to talk to us about some of the shifts, some of the trends, and some of the changes we've seen in the 2019 World Watch List. So Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Tim, at the top of the episode, we talked about China. It's a nation that holds a special place in so many believers' hearts here in this nation. You know, we've gone from the 80s where Open Doors smuggled one million Bibles in one night. And then we've talked about the, the way the Chinese church has had revival, the growth we've seen. But now this year in the 2019 World Watch List, we're painting a very different picture of China. What is the current situation for Christians in China? Yeah, well, the situation is definitely changing. So as you've already alluded to, Open Doors has had a long history in China. Going back to when Dean Keeney started the base here in Australia, many Bibles have been smuggled in by Open Doors over the years. And we've seen that as China opened up to the rest of the world in many regards, lots of things were liberalized, including lifestyles and religious freedom in the country. But China is beginning to reverse course a little bit. Most famously, we've seen in the news recently the acts of the Chinese government in the far western province of Xinjiang, where lots of re-education, is the word you used before, camps have been set up. The government's calling these vocational training centres, but there hasn't been a lot of vocational training that's been recorded as a result of these places. And a lot of Christians have been caught up in the crackdown in these areas, though it has mostly been the majority Muslim population who live there. The Christians have been facing a lot of pressure. In another area, there was a church of 1,500 people which was just totally closed by the government because they refused to put cameras at the front of their pulpit so that the government could monitor who was coming in and out of the church. And another significant development has been the banning of sales of Bibles online. So Bibles can still be purchased in China, but only from registered churches. And registered churches have given in to this mandate that they must have cameras pointed out at the church. So anyone who's simply interested in Christianity and thinking about buying a Bible, the government's going to see immediately and they're going to be easily identifiable. To use the language that we're sort of teaching our listeners, what, what is China? Smash? Squeeze? Well, certainly in China, we're seeing both. 
So as the churches rip down, churches are closed. That's the smash. The squeeze, however, is the government says you can still have a cross on your church, but it must mirror the facade of the rest of the building. So it must be small and it must look like the wall of the church. So it's barely identifiable. And this would be squeeze, trying to squeeze Christianity out of public life. If we talk, I guess, about being predominantly squeeze persecution in China, can you tell us a country or a region that is on your mind from this list that you could talk to us about the the smash end of the spectrum? Immediately with smash, the first region that comes to mind is Africa. In Africa, we've seen the majority of Christians who were killed for their faith in the last year recorded in just Nigeria, in fact, 90%. In 2018, we saw over 4,100 Christians who were martyred simply for their faith and no other reason, and 3,700 of them in Nigeria. Now, these figures are incredibly conservative. So we only report the absolute only known cause of death because of faith. So does that mean the figure is likely to be a lot higher? Very much so. The figure would be much higher in reality. Looking at Nigeria more closely, I know that the Falani herdsmen, Boko Haram, are often responsible for most of the deaths of Christians in those nations. Can you tell me why is it that violence is so commonly associated with Islam? Is it only Islam? Have we seen an increase in radicalization from other faiths, Buddhism, Hinduism, You know, I think one of the naiveties we have often in Western cultures is that our association with Muslims is only ever based around the outworking of violence, whereas I'm not sure, particularly from my experience, I'm not sure that's always the case. And so I really want to ask that question, dive in deeper on it for you. Why is it, number one, that Islam is so commonly associated with violence? Number two, is it indicative of all Muslims? And number three, is Islam the only faith that responds with violence? So that's a really good question. And Nigeria is a great place to start when we look at this, because Nigeria in the north is predominantly Muslim and in the south, predominantly Christian. And we're seeing that in these north, south, middle areas where it meets, that's where the most violence in the last year happened. So in previous years, it's been Boko Haram, which we have typically called Islamic extremism. And it's typified by a group who we may call terrorists, but it's shifted. And so with these predominantly Muslim Fulani cattle herders have been attacking Christian farmers. And we're seeing that that violence is more than just a single terrorist group. And around the Middle East, we see and hear stories of Islamic State and the terrible things that they've done in Iraq and Syria in particular, but growing their influence around the world. But the Saudi Arabian government and the Iranian government are quite hostile to Christianity and certainly allow for killings of Christians. They may not explicitly do so. However, in a family context, we may see that Christians are killed by family members. And this happens because there's an honor-shame structure within the Islamic culture. And so when a Christian converts from Islam, first of all, it's not allowed within Islam. But when it happens then it can bring shame on the family. And so a Muslim, in order to restore honor, may kill that Christian family member. And so there is that violent context for that to happen within. When we look at Australian Muslims or New Zealand Muslims, we don't immediately have that same honor-shame culture link because we've got different culture here in Australia and New Zealand. And so it's not the same thing. 
And the majority of Muslims around the world are like everybody else. They are not violent, they are not extremists, and they want health, education, and that's what they want for their children as well. And so it's important for us as well as Christians to not respond and say it must be a violent outworking, but in fact, this is our mission field, to share with people about Christ. And our founder, Brother Andrew, he has a really great acrostic poem to help reset our hearts and check where our thinking is. And so for every time he hears the word Islam, he says, I sincerely love all Muslims. And that should be our posture as well. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've really learned in my time with the ministry is that Islam is something that so for so long I feared. And I feared the notion of sincerely loving all Muslims. I didn't understand or couldn't get my head around it. The Western expression of love is often associated with blessing, um, lack of accountability, and and I couldn't wrestle that. I couldn't reconcile that with what I was hearing or seeing. But it wasn't until I read the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, which talks and defines Christian love. It's not a wedding verse as much as so many of us have had it in our weddings. It's a verse that defines love. It says love is patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it keeps no record of being wrong, it delights and rejoices when the truth wins out. You see, there's elements of both the warm and fuzzies, but also accountability in that statement. And so what I learned, particularly from the Brother Andrew idea behind Islam, is that, you know, well, with that kind of love, I can sincerely love all Muslims. And so the reality is that no one's beyond salvation. Jesus went to the cross because of his love for you, me, and them. More than that, we're all created in the same image of the same God. I'm not saying that we worship the same God, but I am saying that no one is beyond salvation. And I think one of the key messages for us as a ministry, particularly in Western cultures, is to not come into the church with a message of fear around Islam, but a message of hope. You know, I guess one of the tips or tricks or one of the tools that I hope I can share and leave with listeners today is that Often I'll find myself driving in a cab with a Muslim cab driver or, or something like that, and I've been trying to figure out, well, well, how is it that I can share the gospel in these instances? And one of the best tips and techniques I've learned, whether you're in a cab with a Muslim on a train, you're talking to them at the shops, is that I say, hey, do you mind if I ask you a really personal question? And I simply say to them, could you tell me who is Jesus to you? And every time it goes on in this long talk, and ultimately when they finish their statement, I simply say, well, would you mind if I told you who Jesus is to me? And I think for me, the biggest lesson I've learned in the last 12 months is to be able to articulate clearly who is Jesus to me as a Christian and what has he done in my life? Because the first couple of times I tried it, I found myself absolutely wanting. I didn't have the words. I stumbled around or I didn't know the answer. I would love to challenge you to write a paragraph down on who Jesus is and one paragraph on what he's done in your life and then start committing the language to memory because in those moments where we have the opportunity to share, we have to be able to say who Jesus is to us and what he's done in our life. As we move on in the World Watch List, one of the probably more unique countries to show up on the list this year is Russia. I think a lot of our listeners would be surprised at that. They're probably leaning in right now thinking, Russia, how did that make the top 50? Tim, can you tell us, why is Russia in the top 50 in 2019? Well, Russia's re-entered the list. And for those people who are leaning in because they remember the days of communist Russia, well, it's different. It's not quite what it was then. And we're looking at persecution in a different form. So Russia is split into several different sections. It's a massive country stretching all the way from Europe to the Pacific Ocean. And so you don't have just one 
particular kind of Russian person or one particular culture. And within the country, because we see a different clash of cultures, we can see that there are some tensions. The area that we're talking about specifically and the reason that Russia has re-entered the World Watch List and into a rank of number 41 is from the Caucasus area. In this particular area, south of Russia, there is a more Persian culture and it has long Islamic roots. Here, we've seen a lot of violent extremism and six Christians were killed in an area called Dagestan last year, just attending a church service. Chechnya is another area that comes to mind, an area which is quite violent and we see a lot of Islamic extremism. Now it's targeted towards the Christians because the Christians in Russia, about 78% of the entire Russian population, would call themselves Christian and specifically Russian Orthodox. For these Christians, it's a huge part of their nationality to be Russian Orthodox. And so attacks on these Christians is truly about attacking Christianity, but also attacking Russia. For Christians as well, who fall outside of this Russian Orthodox nationalism, they're starting to face some other pressures too. So the government legislation, it's starting to look like it's in favor of Russian Orthodoxy. And so Baptists and, and newer Pentecostal Christians, they're facing some other more unique challenges. Yeah, I think Russia is something that me personally, I wasn't expecting to see on the list. What we see across many nations around the world is and I think this is a really important clarifying point for listeners, is that in an attempt to stave off the advancement of radical Islam within cultures around the world, we've seen an increase in the radicalization of other faiths and religions. So radical Buddhism, radical Hinduism, they've, they've all increased. And I think a naive perspective would be to say that they've increased and therefore Christians are more persecuted. The reason they increased in radicalization is to stop the encroachment of radical Islam on their cultures and societies. However, it has impacted Christians. But a great sort of example of this would be India. Now, India is a nation that is rapidly changing when it comes to religious freedom. There is a big drive from a government and radical Hindus to make it a Hindu nation. In fact, many want to eradicate Christianity from India by the end of 2021. But what we've seen in that nation is a clear and planned strategy to stave off the advancement of Islam and to stave off the advancement of Christianity. And it looks vastly different. Radical Hindus realize that in India, if they try and stop Islam with violence, Islam and Muslims will often respond with violence. And so what they do is they change their tactic. They know that Muslims will often live together, trade together, do business together. And so what they do is they enforce many different trade laws. So it makes outworking business really difficult. It almost tries to squash them with a squeeze on Islam to say, hey, look, it's not violence, but I'll tell you what, we're going to do everything we can to stop you being Islamic. You'll want to become Hindu because it's much easier to do business as a Hindu. And then for Christians, radical Hindus say, well, they're an easy target. They don't fight back. And so what we see in India is often violence used against Christians. And sadly, countless stories of just absolutely horrific things happening to Christians because they don't fight back. And so what we see is a completely targeted and well thought out plan of stopping the church growing by using violence, but also trying to stop Islam by squeezing them out of their faith. But before we finish up together today, Tim, can you tell me some good news stories from the World Watch List? The truly good news story that 
stands above everything in the world watch list that we've seen in the last year is the progress of persecution in Pakistan. Now, last year, it was the most violent country in the world watch list. And this year, it still scored the highest for violence. However, we've seen a more active role from the government. So I'm referring to the tenure case of Asia Bibi. She finally this year got acquitted. And even though we've seen huge protests against it, we've seen that the rule of law has stood up to this extremism. And this is an incredibly encouraging sign. And it's something that we would love to see across the rest of the world so that Christians can face some degree of protection. Absolutely. I think Asia's story is one that I follow closely. I know that Australia has prayed a lot for her. Many people have petitioned our government to take her in. And uh, for any listener wanting to know more about that case, please check out our website because we have so much information around Asia Bibi and many other people like her who have faced extreme persecution. But Tim, thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, For our listeners, Tim is going to be on the road over the next couple of months sharing stories and events around. So please check out the opendoors.org.au website to find out where he's at. He's one of the best communicators we've got, not only in a data and an analysis sense, but also in a storytelling sense. So if you want to book him to come and speak in your church, your community group, your school, wherever it might be, please reach out to our producer, Bethany, bethanyr at od.org.au and ask to be connected with Tim. He's got an incredible message, but more than that, give you practical tips on how you can serve Jesus in this culture and be more courageous for him. So Tim, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Uh, look, many of you at home might be trying to figure out, you know, what's next for you. And, and, and really the whole purpose of this podcast is to resource you as leaders, uh, as followers of Jesus. And so if you jump on our website, opendoors.org.au, or if you're in New Zealand, opendoors.org.nz, you'll find a whole lot of comprehensive resources about the world watch list. There's individual country profiles. Uh, you can order maps and guidebooks, all of those sorts of things. It's a resource that our family has used in our time of personal prayer. I've visited you youth ministries that have used those uh, those maps and those resources to kind of guide a time of prayer for the persecuted church. So make sure you jump online if you need any more of those. And as we bring this episode in for a close, I remember a good friend of mine, Cass Langton, she's the head of Hillsong Creative globally. She said, God's not looking for us to be apathetic or lethargic as a church, but to be people of action and not to just sing about him or to him, but to be moved by what he loves and what he wants And I think he wants justice. You see, that's the beauty of the world watch list. It moves us. It connects us with the persecuted church and reminds us that we are all part of the same body of Christ. And the world watch list reminds us we shouldn't be trying to avoid persecution. We should be courageously obedient in whatever God is calling us to do, knowing that wherever the gospel is being shared, persecution exists. I want to leave you today with the words of a 22-year-old woman from India. Ranked at number 10 on the world watch list this year, India is becoming incredibly difficult to follow Jesus. She said, don't be afraid when persecution comes to you. It's part of the Christian life. It's a privilege to be persecuted. Our job is to make sure that Jesus can be seen and heard from our lives, to share him visibly, vocally, and valiantly. And I wanna be really clear before we finish. I'm not saying people are standing on street corners preaching the gospel. What I'm saying is that whether it's an animistic culture in Vietnam, whether it's a Islamic culture across the Middle East, whether it's a communist culture in China, what they're doing is they're associating with Christianity. They're public about their faith. They don't back down when they're asked about it. It's about being unashamed about your faith in Jesus. 
It's about letting your kids know when they're at school, when someone asks them what faith they are, to say that they're Christian. It's about not participating in certain prayers or rituals within animistic or Hindu cultures. It's that kind of association, that public outworking of faith we're looking for. Find out how to be courageously vocal, valiant and visible with your faith. Make sure that everyone knows you follow Jesus. I hope our World Watch List edition of the Open Doors Live podcast has left you inspired to pray, to stand with the persecuted church around the world, and to be bold for your faith here in Australia, New Zealand, or wherever you're listening from. We look forward to catching you next time. And if you want James Kazina, the man sitting next to me, to come and speak in your church, simply email Bethany, bethanyr at od.org.au, and book him to speak in your church, your community group, your school, whatever it might be. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next month. Thanks for listening to Open Doors Live with your hosts, Mike Gore and James Kazina. Because of your support, we're able to bring the persecuted church to life. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au.